Thanks for joining us here at Thrive Church. We're a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. For more information, go to our website, www.thrivechurch.co.za. How's everyone? Spring is in the air. The deck is open. The pizza oven is cooking. And I'm aware that I'm the only thing standing between you and that. But you can help yourselves by responding well. Set the clock to an hour, guys, and then we'll just count it down. If the, if, if the response is excellent, we'll shift it to 20 minutes immediately. <laughs> it's good, good to see you all this morning. And uh, you ready for the word? Yes. Cool. Why don't you put your hand on your heart? And let's, who here comes to church? Not just, you know, because there's a nice deck and a nice place to hang out, and the worship is great, and it's good to worship Jesus and all of that, but because you actually need God to do something in your heart. That's me, definitely. So... Let's pray. God, we ask this morning, would you have your will and your way with us? We pray this morning that we'd be not only hearers of your word, but that we'd put it into practice, that we'd become people who put your word into action in our lives. We pray that you would speak to us this morning. Um, Every one of us, Lord, you know us. You love us so much. Every hair on our heads, you know. Every need of our hearts, you know. Every battle, every challenge, every high and every low, you know it. So this morning we ask, would you speak to us? Would you help me to articulate your word clearly? And would you let your word do all that it's set out to accomplish this morning in Jesus' name? And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a seat, please. There was a story I heard the other day about a young girl called Megan Jameson. She was born at 34 weeks of age, and uh, she had a heart murmur. She was one of uh, a set of twins. Uh, She had a heart murmur, she was sent to intensive care, and then she was transferred to the Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Doctors there discovered that she had several heart defects, actually, and she would need some surgery. But she had to have her first surgery when she was just eight days old. Can you imagine having an eight-day-old baby and they've got to have heart surgery? Four months later, she had to have full-blown open-heart surgery, Uh, but because her respiratory problems continued, she actually needed a full heart transplant. And uh, she had the heart transplant, and since having the transplant, the heart transplant, her mom says that it was complete peace of mind knowing that it was her heart and that her heart could be fixed. Heart surgery is difficult, it's painful, it puts you flat on your back, uh, and it takes time to recover, but it's worth it because it saves your life, right? James, in the book of James, does heart surgery with his readers. When you read the book of James, it's like heart surgery. It's like he takes a scalpel and he cuts in, and it can be a little anar to listen to, a little anar to hear at times, but it saves our lives. James, I think, still believes that the human heart can be worked on, that the human heart can be transplanted. The gospel of Jesus is this. Jesus didn't come to fix our hearts. He came to give us new hearts. And James, in this book, this incredible book, which at times can be so infuriating to read and then at other times can be so amazing, James comes in and he gives us heart surgery. He lets God's word speak, and it's a little ain't at times. But it's good for us, and we need it. James chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. If I could call this message anything, I think I would call it heart surgery heart surgery, because that's what he does. It's all about the heart. James in chapter four is just talking to us about the heart, and he raises a few themes 
that we need to confront and think about when it comes to our hearts. And he, he goes in straight and hard from the start. James never messes around. He doesn't invite you to grab a tissue and a cup of coffee and to come lie on his couch. He, he goes in straight and he goes in hard. He goes, okay, so what's causing the quarrels and fights among you? Thrive Church, he says, 2018, here we are. What's causing the struggles and fights or quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that wage war inside of you? It's like, hello, James. He goes, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. What causes the conflict in our lives? James is pretty direct about it. He says it's the quarrels and the fights that you have. Dr. Paul Alexander, who's coming next week actually to be with us, he was my lecturer in, in the, my master's program that I did. He opened my eyes to how to preach to a contemporary world these days. He's a phenomenal communicator. You're gonna love him. Make sure you invite family and friends. It's gonna be a great morning. He's coming next week. He, said, he made one statement to us in class one day. It was just an off-the-cuff statement, but it stuck with me. He said, the root of every problem in the world, every problem in the world, I mean, humankind, all of their problems, any and all problems, it boils down to one root. There's one reason for every problem that we've had on the face of the planet since Adam and Eve's time. One root, one cause, and it's this. He said, it's the spirit of empire. In other words... The heart wants what it wants. I want what I want, and I put what I want above what you want, and therefore, we wage war. First theme that James raises for us is this, is that selfishness leads to strife. Selfishness leads to strife. Because my needs are more important than your needs, and so we live an equation in our lives. Me first equals you last. Me first equals. And there's this war going on inside of us. And so we want what we want, and we want what we want, so we'll put our needs above anybody else's. And so somebody says, oh, please don't go out with that guy. Please, please don't date that guy. Don't marry that guy. He's, he, you can see his trouble. He doesn't have a good track record. No, no. But the heart wants what at once, but he loves me, so I marry him. Five years later, please don't buy that new car. You know you can't afford it. Yeah, but have you smelt it? It's got the new car smell. The only problem is that the smell of a new car fades a lot longer, faster than the payments of a new car. You know it. Who here has had a new car smell? Like, ah. A business opportunity for any entrepreneurs that are here. Just go and figure out how they get that new car smell, bottle it and sell it. I'd put it in my car every week. Save us all a lot of money. Who here has got suckered by a new car smell? Come on, you know it. There we are. He says, you want what you want. And that's what causes the problems in your life. He says it creates an internal conflict. And the internal conflict boils over to an external conflict. The reason we have external conflict, in other words, conflict with other people, is because we have a first conflict here. So there's desires that wage war within us. We haven't come to terms with those desires. We don't know what to do with them. We haven't settled them. We haven't dealt with them. And so they wage war not only within us, but they spill over to wage war with the people around us. 
as well. Remember the heart wants what it wants. So selfishness leads to strife. I think if we had to take a poll across every single one of us here today we, and we asked ourselves the question, what is the root cause of the strife in your life? I'm a poet and I don't know it. <laughs> the strife in your life would be attributed to the selfishness of your heart. Mostly. And James continues. So he goes, he, he doesn't ease up. He just keeps going. He goes, and yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. So he says, if you want something, you could ask God. But I know why you don't ask God. Well, when you do, your motives are all wrong. But I also know that you don't ask sometimes. And the reason you don't ask is because you're not sure God will agree with your prayer. Ever been there? So uh, forgiveness is easier than permission. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it and get it and take it. And then, God, I'll ask you for forgiveness later. If you're a guy and you've done that and you didn't have permission from the wife and you went out for a, a boy's night, you know forgiveness is easier than permission. I'm just going to go. And then on Saturday morning, I'll ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness is easier than permission. If you're a lady in the house and you bought an outrageously expensive pair of shoes that was not approved on the budget, you think, I'm just going to go get them, I'll wear them, and then I'll say, oh, I'll contact them back. So forgiveness, please forgive me. It's easier than permission. If you're a man or woman guilty of each of those, just look straight ahead now. Don't look to your left or to your right. <laughs> and so desire leads to deviance. I can remember... This playing out in my own life, I was about, I think about eight years old when I came to the horrible conclusion that Santa Claus wasn't who I thought he was. <laughs> Father Christmas, in fact, it seemed didn't reside in the North Pole, he resided in our own home. So one Christmas, I'd put in an order for Thundercats. Who remembers Thundercats? Give me a shout if you love a Thundercat. There we are, yeah. Up in the balcony, Thundercat fans all over the show. So I put in an order for Thundercats, and then between the time that I put in the order for Thundercats and Christmas, there, I'd come to this realization that actually Father Christmas was not who, he thought I was, uh, who I thought he was, that he was in fact residing in our own house. So I figured there's a very good chance two days before Christmas that the Thundercats are actually in this very house right now. <laughs> so I overturned every cupboard and drawer I could, searched high and low. Eventually, I was in my parents' room on a stepladder. On the right on the top of it, I'd got to the top cupboard. I'd opened it, and behind some stuff was a plastic packet. I can remember it as clear as anything. Pulled the packet out, and there were my Thundercats. I took them out, and I looked at, I looked at Tigro, who, of course, is the best Thundercat of all. Go and Google Tigro. That oak is awesome. And I opened the packaging. I, I, I cut it open. Took Tigro out, started playing with him, only to have my mom walk into the room as I was on the top step of the ladder. Needless to say, it was a bleak Christmas after that, <laughs> right? And all I did was beg forgiveness, because forgiveness is easier than permission. And so we want what we want, and so selfishness leads to strife. And this desire leads to deviance. And James carries on and he goes, listen, guys, when you ask, you don't get because your motive is your pleasure, not God's glory. 
James is surfacing the second theme of this particular passage, and that is that motive really matters. When we pray, the motive of our heart, church, it really, really, really does matter. What we pray for what will make us comfortable, not what will make us Christ-centered. We pray for what will help us as opposed to what might bring God glory. It's natural. It's just that James says you shouldn't live that way if you take Jesus seriously. And so we pray like that. But James reminds us elsewhere in the book of James that God is a good father. He says every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of light. So here's why you can be safe to ask God for the things that you want, even though you might not get his permission. Because you can rest assured that there will be one of three responses that God will give you. Number one, he'll say yes. If he says yes, great. Or maybe he'll say not now, you know? Or maybe he'll say I've got something better, which is God's way of saying no. Because there is something better. You see, God doesn't say no to frustrate us. He doesn't say no to to drive us crazy and drive us up the wall. He says no because he knows it's not good for us. Are you all with me this morning? And so we can rest in that. James continues with a scalpel. He goes in a little deeper. He goes, you adulterers. Nice. You might be thinking, I've never cheated on my husband or my wife. He's about to tell us we've all cheated on God. Don't you realize that friendship with the world is, makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think that the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God's passionate that the spirit he's placed within us should be faithful to him. I read that scripture and I'm so challenged and I ask myself the question, well, what then is friendship with the world? Because I'm, I'm very scared to be friends with the world if being friends with the world makes me an enemy of God. I read that and I'm challenged. I say, well, then what is friendship with the world? Fortunately, a God in his wisdom and in his kindness and his goodness tells us elsewhere in Scripture what friendship with the world means. If you want to know if you're a friend of the world, you can, you can benchmark yourself very easily. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16 tells us. He says, For everything of the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Or 1 John 2, 16, same verse, just in the New Living Translation. For the world offers only, what, a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. When James talks about friendship with the world, he's talking about the pursuit of pleasure above God. He's talking about the pursuit of possessions above God. He's talking about the pursuit of pride in our achievements above God. And so James is in this verse surfacing the third theme of this little passage is that our commitments in life can't be compromising. You have to decide which side of the fence you're going to be on. Are you going to be friends with the world and pursue possessions, pleasures, and pride in your achievements, or you're going to be a friend of God? And so he says, Your commitments can't be compromised. Put differently, 
Your loyalties, my loyalties, they will lead our lives, right? Show me what you're loyal to, I'll show you which direction your life is heading in. Our friendships can't be fuzzy. By friendships, I don't mean our, our friendships with friends. I mean that the, fri- the things that we cozy up to in life, the things that we make friends with that we, want to, that we think will help us, which don't. He says your ambitions can't be ambiguous. Jesus said it. We can't serve two masters, hey? If you're craving physical pleasures, like may, maybe that's got to a place of addiction in your life, I'm gonna tell you there's good news for you. Because every Thursday night, there's something called Heal, which runs here at the church. It's for anybody who's addicted to anything. You can just come and be with a whole bunch of people who are addicted to various different things. And you can find hope, you can find healing, you can find restoration, and you can find another person who's battling with the same thing, and you can have your life healed. That's why it's called heal. Runs Thursday night, seven o'clock here at the church. Doesn't matter whether it's gambling, doesn't matter whether it's drugs, doesn't matter whether it's um, alcohol, whatever it might be. It happens every Thursday night. If you're chasing possessions, if you're upwardly mobile, just Nothing wrong with great cars and houses and all that stuff. There's nothing wrong with all of those things. Just make sure you're not putting it above him. You with me? And pride and achievements. Got a lot of young people in our church, upwardly mobile. Yeah, I was the youngest guy to lead that. And I was the first person to do this. And yeah, I'm the, I'm the first female in that role. Well, be careful about the pride of your achievements. that's friendship with the world. We wouldn't have anything unless God had given it to us, eh? And so he goes on, and he, verse 6, he says, and he, speaking of pride, he goes, he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This word pride, uh, it's, it's pronounced huperophanos in Greek. It's the Greek word. It's only used five times in the New Testament. It's only used once in James. He reserves it for this particular place. And it's always used in the negative light. It's always used negatively. So positively would be like, I was proud of my daughter for doing X, Y, and Z. This is pride in the negative sense, perhaps better positioned as arrogance or better translated as arrogance. James is saying, be careful because God opposes the arrogant. 1 Peter 5 verse 5 quotes the same. God opposes the proud, but gives, uh, gives grace to the humble. And those two are both quotes from Old Testament proverb of Proverbs 3.34. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Three times in Scripture we're warned, be careful of this thing called arrogance. Now you and I, we act out arrogance in one of two ways. We either act it out vertically or we act it out horizontally. Vertical arrogance is when we're, under, we're in submission or we have a leader or a boss or whatever over us. But what we do is we decide purposely, I'm gonna make that person's life difficult. I'm not under the mission, I come out of the mission. Are you with me? And we, 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 we passive aggressive or we just don't action it or we, or we no, I'm not gonna obey the law on that thing or I'm not gonna obey the law like that. No, because just, uh, it's all, no, it's arrogance. It's setting ourselves up above the person that's been put in charge of us. Maybe you do that with your boss or, Maybe you see people doing that with their boss. 
But the other way is that we do that, we acted out uh, arrogance, we acted out horizontally. Not a leader, not somebody hierarchically above us, but just a, a colleague, an acquaintance, a friend, and we put them down. Or we... Uh, other in front of them, other people, we put them behind their back, or, you know, the water cooler talk, yeah, but yeah, she, she's not that good at that area, hey? You know, she's up with you for a promotion, yeah, but you've seen her analytical ability, it's not quite there yet. <laughs> Why? Because you know she's competing with you for a promotion, so you just, you put her down. Hey? Can be a side comment, a snide comment. Yeah, I only came second in my grade because she cheated, definitely. <laughs> and so we, so we do it, eh? They only got the job because they're black. Yeah? True. It's arrogance. God says, be careful of that. Because God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. God, James does tell us and... He tells us, hey, there's a, there's a flip side to this coin. Careful of arrogance, but the flip side is he gives grace to the humble. He extends his hand to the one who's humble. I love what C.S. Lewis said about humility because it's like one of those things that you wonder what really is humility. It was a, such a helpful definition. He said, humility is not thinking of yourself less. It's the, uh, not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So helpful, isn't it? So he carries on on the theme of humility and he goes, okay, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come close to God and he'll come close to you. I love James because he, he's always comforting and challenging. So one minute he gives you a warm clap and then he gives you a warm embrace. Are you with me? It's first a, a, like a, a kick up the backside and then it's a, then it's a fatherly embrace. He ebbs and flows, James. He's, you're never quite sure what you're going to get with the next statement with him because he's always, he's always, he's like, he gives you a sucker punch one, two, and then he, hey, come, let me give you a love. So he goes, you know, he's just told us, come close to God and God will come close to you. That's, oh, that's so nice. And then he continues, wash your hands, you sinners. <laughs> Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. You see, James knows it's only the humble person who can do this little list of things that he, he quotes. Here. He says, number one, humble people. Humble people are only people who can humble themselves before God because they're humble. Proud people never humble themselves in front of anybody. Listen to me, if you can't apologize, you know you haven't got humility. It's a thing, eh? And he goes, resist the devil. Humble people know. Humble people are the only people who can resist the devil because they know I can't outsmart him, so I better just resist him. I know every time I try and outsmart the devil, it ends in tears. So I know, I know it's better to just try and resist him. I can't even let him get that close. I've got to resist him. Because if he gets in, it's nach. He says, humble people are the only people who can draw close to God. Why? Because God extends a hand to them. They're gracious. Humble people are the only people who can wash their hands because they realize they've got blood on their hands. 
Pride people can never agree that they've got blood on their hands, that they've hurt people and people have been hurt. He says humble people are the only people who can shed tears for what they've done because they understand that they've hurt people and people have been hurt by them and that they've hurt the hearts of God themselves. Proud people don't see that. Proud people don't see the hurt that they cause. They're just oblivious to it. Proud people, humble people are the only ones who can shed tears for what they've done. So he ends the message or he ends this this paragraph the same way he starts it, with humility. He says, and when you humble yourself, he'll lift you up in honor. Humble yourself and leave the results to God. Sometimes you're like, yeah, but I've got to, I, just, I just got to get back at that person. He's like, no, humble yourself, leave the results to God. Work hard on what happens here and God will work hard on what happens out there. Are you with me? I was reading this story about President Jimmy Carter the other day. He's 94 years old, this dude now. He's amazing. His wife, Rosalind, is 91. Do you know that they have built houses for Habitat for Humanity for the last 34 years? They started in 1984. After his presidency of the U.S., he started building homes for Habitat for Humanity. Him and his wife are 94. I was watching videos uh, um, of him and his wife. I mean, they're swing and like hammering and like... They're building the homes themselves, 94 years old. Him and his wife, him and his wife have built 5,000 homes together. Since the age of 19, he's been a Sunday school teacher. The only time he stopped teaching Sunday school was when he was in the White House. <laughs> President, he had like other things to do. <laughs> it's amazing. He still, he has been teaching at Maranatha Baptist Church in Plains, Georgia. He has been teaching Sunday school for the last 35 years. He's 94. And he teaches 30 weeks of the year. We get guys, now at this time of year particularly, in October, everybody gets a bit much. I'm tired. <laughs> I need to take a break because I'm tired. And they're 26. (laughs) You're not tired. You're just burnt out because your relationship with Jesus is not where it should be. You 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 will never get burnt out serving at church. In fact, very seldom would you even get burnt out at work if your relationship with Jesus is happening. Are you with me? So... If you're older and grayer in the congregation, your best years are still ahead of you. Don't get old. Don't get skeptical. Don't get grumpy. Don't go like, ah, but they don't dress the way I want them to. (laughs) They make too much mess and their hair looks terrible. (laughs) I don't know why that came out in that voice. (laughs) They've all got beards and thin jeans. Just make yourself available to mentor people. Speak to them. Give them your benefit of your wisdom. Don't get old and grumpy. Don't be like in the retirement village, like, 
Oh, so good to be amongst the old people again. No, no. Be in church where you can contribute. You might not be able to be on the worship team, but you can, you can mentor people, you can train people. If you want to wear thin jeans, you can be, it's fine. <laughs> Are you with me? Such an inspiring example of an older person who's living out what God's got for them. So James, he kind of he wraps it all up here and he leaves it all out on, on the floor. Verse 11 to 12. So if you thought this was going to get easier, it's not. Because don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, you're criticizing and judging God's law. Your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. <laughs> Yo. Can I just say, in South Africa, our job is to obey the law, not decide whether it applies to us. At the risk of being deeply unpopular, etols. It is the law. And until such time as it gets repealed, which it will, we should obey it. Because we don't get to, it's like, I'm going to, yeah, this part I like, this one not. Yeah, I like freedom of speech, but I don't like etols. You with me? Now, when, when should we rise up against the law? When it's harmful to human beings? When it degrades human beings? Civil disobedience is a thing, but you don't civil disobedience because you don't want to pay some, something. It's gone so quiet. In this Dutch Reformed Church this morning. <laughs> I'm just saying it's God's word. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything. About it. It's just God's word that's convicting your hearts right now. Anyway, he alone has the power to save or to destroy. So, what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Okay, coming back to the theme of this is don't judge your neighbor. James's theme that he raises here is control your criticism. Malicious, what's criticism? Malicious, judgmental speech directed towards others. And he's saying there's one guy who gave the law, it's God. And so there's one guy who gets to judge according to the law. Your job, my job, thankfully, is not to judge. Our job is to simply make sure we obey. What is the law? To love one another. James reminds us that criticism is ultimately an arrogance issue. It's ultimately a pride issue. Yeah, I'm better than them. I've got it all together. They don't. The way they behave, shocking. If I was in their shoes, I'd never have done that. You with me? Just be careful. American Indian proverb said, never criticize a man till you've walked a mile in his moccasins. The gender neutral version is never criticize a lady until you've put her high heels on. <laughs> Who here has got moccasins? Anybody still got some moccasins? Come on, rock. Admit, no, you see, first service had lots of moccasins. So what's happening? Are you guys too trendy for moccasins? Is that the story? Okay, when moccasins make a comeback, they get, which they will, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. They're comfortable, not like these kinds of leather things that are so uncomfortable. Moccasins rock. I remember my brother had a pair of moccasins, and we scorned him for it at the time. 
but one day they'll come back. And then we'll all be walking miles in moccasins. And then we'll laugh at each other. One day skinny jeans will be out. In fact, they're already going out. And then we'll all laugh like, why did we wear those jeans? They're so ridiculous. Anyway, I carry on. So there's nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. I love this quote. True nobility is being superior to your former self. This um, series on James is... Uh, as with James and the way he writes, it's been quite challenging at times. If you think it's been challenging to listen to, you should try to be the guy who's got to preach it. Because if you're going to be authentic, you better live what you're preaching, right? So it's harder to preach it than it is to hear it, I promise you. But when I thought about it, and when I thought about the series, I thought how good it is for us. Because heart surgery does save our lives. You see, there's two kinds of lives we can live. One is this life. It's like in this balloon. It's filled with nothing but hot air. Somebody blew hot air into this thing and it blew up. It's got nothing else in it except it's hot air. Would you agree? The problem is a life like this is filled with nothing but hot air. And if you and I are not careful, we can live our lives filled with nothing but hot air. Guess what the hot air is? Just ourselves. We fill our lives just with ourselves. That's why people don't volunteer. That's why people don't give. It's because they've got nothing going on in their lives except their, their own deal. But let me show you what happens to a life like that. When tough times come, when the heat is on, when the challenges happen, this life, filled with nothing but hot air, gets exposed to the flame. it fades to nothing. Sometimes they pop. They disappear. Nowhere. Just This life is filled with water. This has literally got life inside of it. This is kind of akin to our lives when we fill our lives with God's word. Even when it's James even when it's challenging and even when it's tough, and even when it's like, sheesh, it's a little hectic. We fill our lives with His Word. We let it go into our lives. We let it fill us. Guess what it does? The substance of it can withstand anything. This life that's got life inside of it, this life that's got substance inside of it, this life that's got something weightier than just hot air inside of it, this life that's got something else apart from just its own deal in it can withstand the flame. I'll stand here all day long. It, it, won't, ha it won't pop. It'll just keep going and going. Why? Because the weight of what's in it is stronger than the flame. so too with us. May you be like that life. May you fill your life with His Word. May it build strength into you. May it build resilience into you. May it build a capability and a capacity into you. May it, it forge you. May it make you withstand the heat of life's challenges.
Let's move from listening to doing. Five things that we should evaluate. And every single one of us should be grabbing a pen or a phone or something now to make sure we get a hold of this. Because James says, listen, if you come to church, he's, he doesn't mess around. He says, if you come to church and um, you just hear the word, but you never do anything with it, guess what you are? Guess what you are? A fool. So he says, if you want wisdom, apply God's word. Check it out. Five things for us to think about today as we evaluate our lives. Number one, let's evaluate our hearts. How's our level of selfishness going? Number two, how are our motives when we pray? Are they focused on my comfort or God's will? Thirdly, how much do I think about the pleasures, possessions, and pride in my achievements? Are my commitments compromising in any way? Before, how's my humility? Remembering that humility attracts the favor of God. And number five, how controlled is my criticism? Five ways to apply God's word to your life this morning. Let's pray together, church. Let's uh, have every head bowed and eye closed so that we can give people an opportunity to respond this morning. You know that the... Um, gospel of Jesus is not that Jesus came to make you better, but that he came to make you new. Jesus didn't come to fix your heart. He came to give you a new heart. Jesus didn't come to fix my heart, my life. He came to give me a new life. This message was recorded live at Thrive Church. We hope that it inspired you to move towards Jesus.